Well, it is Christmas Eve, and uh, we are going to be reading the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. So I invite you to turn with me there in your Bibles. You'll find this on page 857 in the Bibles that we have for you in the pews. And let me just say, if you do not have a Bible, please take one of these home. That is our gift to you. I'm going to start off just a a bit more serious than I would normally do, but um, I think what we've just sung has really transitioned well into what I want to uh, say. uh, I've loved movies since I was a kid, and, and one of my favorite actors is Gregory Peck. And if you don't know that name, perhaps you uh, know the movie To Kill a Mockingbird, which is probably his most well-known movie. There's another movie that's not all that well-known uh, called The Scarlet and the Black that I would say is one of the most redemptive stories that uh, I've ever seen in, in film. Uh, it takes place in World War II as um, the German army has uh, overrun Rome and it focuses on an Irish priest named Hugh O'Flaherty, who is stationed at the Vatican. And it's about the conflict that you see between the, the German army and the, the Vatican. And, and Hugh O'Flaherty, this is a, it's based on a true story. Hugh O'Flaherty was truly an Irish priest who, uh, during his uh, lifetime at the Vatican, while uh, World War II was going on, literally helped thousands of Jews and POWs, uh, allied POWs, to escape. But he has a a nemesis in uh, the German army, and that is uh, Colonel Capert, who is the head of the Gestapo in Rome. And uh, Colonel Capert figures out fairly quickly that uh, this Irish priest is helping a lot of people escape his grip. And so uh, no matter what he does, though, because this Irish priest is so clever at what he does, he cannot catch him. I mean, he's, he's... He really almost gives up, but he has this personal vendetta now against this Irish priest. He wants to have some excuse to kill him. And you get a sense of the the bitterness of all of this and and what has transpired near the end of the film. Uh, When uh, after the Allies have, have landed in Italy and they've overrun the German army, they're marching toward Rome and Colonel Capert knows that he's not going to be able to escape, but he wants his wife and his two children to escape. And so he asks for a private meeting with this Irish priest, Hugh O'Flaherty. And at that point, he, he begs him, uh, to, as he's helped thousands of other people escape, would you help now uh, my wife and my two children escape? And um, at that point, uh, he appeals to this priest's you know, confession of forgiveness. That's what he's built his ministry on. And uh, yet, Hugh O'Flaherty, the the priest, doesn't respond well. These are the words that he said they should be on the screen for you. You expect me to help you after what you've done. Uh, You think you can demand forgiveness. You think it becomes automatic because you want it, just because you want it. You turned this city into a concentration camp. You've tortured and butchered my friends. You violated every principle of God and man. I can't believe it. After all you've done, you want mercy. Well, uh, uh, Flaherty then turns and walks away. The Allies liberate Rome. They capture Colonel Capert, the Gestapo head there in Rome, and uh, later on they're interrogating him, 
And they ask him a question, but before they ask him a question, they inform him that somehow uh, his wife and two children have escaped safely to Switzerland. And the question, of course, is who did it? And uh, Colonel Capert knows that the only person who possibly could have done it was this Irish priest, Hugh O'Flaherty. But he just says, I don't know. And then at the epilogue of the film, you see these words. Herbert Kapler was sentenced to life imprisonment for war crimes. In the long years that followed in his Italian prison, Kapler had only one visitor every month, year in and year out. O'Flaherty came to see him. Now, about 15 years later, in 1959, this formal head of the, former head of the dreaded Gestapo in Rome professed faith in Christ thanks to the ministry of this Irish priest over many, many years. An enemy of God found peace with God. In 1959, something happened that began 2,000 years ago. As we look this morning at the birth of our Savior, we will see angels announce his birth as the good news of the one who brings peace with God. Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, And laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that uh, you sent your son into our world to bring us peace. May that be our story, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of the books that were really helpful to me as I prepared for this morning were The Real Mary by Scott McKnight and Tim Keller's Hidden Christmas. And if you want to do more reading about Christmas, I highly encourage those two books. Excellent resources. We're going to focus this morning on the angel's announcement of peace. 
But we need to realize, and, and, and this really is the crux of the matter, there are two enemies that this passage highlights for us. The first of which is Caesar Augustus. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And so, let's just pause a minute and ask the question, who is this Caesar Augustus? Well, to understand that, you've got to go to his predecessor, Julius Caesar, because Julius Caesar was the first Roman emperor uh, to be called or to be declared a god. And so, his successors, which would include Caesar Augustus, was called a son of God. And so that was a title that he gladly accepted. In fact, being called Son of God was his very favorite title. But there's more. Even though Caesar Augustus came to power, seized power in a very brutal way, he then used that power to bring peace to the Roman world. And because of that, not only was he called a son of God, he was also called Savior. And beyond that, when he ascended the throne, the declaration went out as good news or gospel. Now, I hope this is sounding a bit familiar to you. The Roman version of the gospel story in Jesus' day was this. Caesar Augustus, son of God, our Savior, has brought peace to the whole world. Now listen to the gospel proclaimed by the angels to the shepherds. It is no accident that it sounded very familiar to Roman ears. The gospel according to these angels, is the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, was the true Savior who brings real peace to the whole world. And that proclamation then by the angels can only mean one thing. Jesus is the Savior. Caesar Augustus is not. Uh, you see, that proclamation wasn't just a, a declaration of salvation for those who would receive it. It was a declaration of war for those who would reject it. In this instance, Caesar Augustus. Perhaps you remember from two weeks ago, if you were here, as Mary finds out that she is going to give birth to the Savior, she, she sings. And in that song, uh, we hear her sing these words, God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their nations. Anyone listening in, if they could have listened in, anyone hearing those words would know that that song had serious implications for Caesar Augustus. His days on the throne were numbered. Caesar Augustus would be dethroned and Jesus would be enthroned. And so at least part of the meaning of Christmas is putting Caesar in his place. 
as I think about the history in this country and the, the presidents that we've had, uh, one of the ones I've enjoyed reading about and uh, enjoy just uh, learning more about is Teddy Roosevelt, interesting president, um, heroic in, in many ways, but uh, one of the things I like about him is that he was funny. He had a quick wit. And uh, in 1910, President Taft asked former president Teddy Roosevelt to attend the funeral of Edward VII in Great Britain. Uh, so he went, and after the funeral, the German Kaiser, who had also traveled to Great Britain to attend the funeral, uh, was there, and he said to Teddy Roosevelt, uh, come see me at two o'clock, I've only got 45 minutes I can give you. Now, Teddy Roosevelt, being very quick-witted, said, uh, I will see you at two o'clock, your majesty. Unfortunately, I only have 20 minutes to give you. It was a delightful twist. It was uh, uh, putting a bit of arrogance in its place. And when Mary, who of course was inspired by the Holy Spirit, sang of God, scattering the proud and bringing down the mighty from their thrones, she too was putting arrogance in its place. There is one true God and he will put the mighty in their place, bringing them down from their thrones. Those who uh, think too highly of themselves, those who see themselves as uh, no need for a savior. And that includes, of course, Caesar Augustus. There's one true God. He will indeed put the mighty in their place. He will bring them down from their thrones. And that includes, and this is where I need to be really serious and hope you will hear me. Uh, please don't miss this. That includes every one of us who chooses to sit on the throne of our own life. In verse 14, do you know what the angels sang over the shepherds in Bethlehem on Christmas morning? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? It's not peace, goodwill toward all men. And, and that's not what they sang. Here's what they sang. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Because the ultimate coming of Jesus is an absolute nightmare for those with whom he is not pleased. To understand this famous announcement, we need to remember what this peace is. One day when Christ returns, he will bring peace to the whole world. There will be no more strife, no more war, no more anger, no more harm from anyone to someone else. That is what is going to happen when he returns. But when he came the first time, his main mission was to bring peace with God, which is your and my most fundamental need. But here's our problem, our natural human heart wants to be king. In our fallen state, we, we want to sit on the throne of our life. We want to be in control of our life. And, and therefore, and this is what's really important, uh, we are hostile to God's claim uh, to be king, God's claim of lordship over us. Uh, we are his enemies in that sense. When we say we want to be king of our lives, we want to direct our lives rather than submit to your kingship. We are so naturally committed to the idea that the only way for us to really, really be happy uh, is if we are wholly in charge of our own lives. And, and that makes us enemy 
of the world wide, one true King, Jesus Christ. There is one King, and there is simply no room for any others. But the good news of Christmas is God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. Jesus uh, is the mediator. When he, uh, when he looked into our world, he came into our world to bring peace. Um, no one is better suited than, than Jesus Christ to, to bring peace between uh, two parties that just can't get along. The question is, how can we, how can you and I have that peace with God that he entered into our world to give us? Well, uh, let, me, let me speak to it in a couple of ways. One of the things we need to understand is how easy it is for us to make ourselves enemies uh, of the Lord. There, there are a couple of different ways we do it. The first is really obvious. Uh, you might call it the irreligious person, the person who says, I, I don't care what anybody tells me and uh, especially don't care what God tells me. I'm going to live the life I want to live regardless. That's pretty obvious. The person who says, I want to live any way I want to live, is such an explicit assertion of independence from God. I want to be king. I'm going to be king. But there's another much more subtle way, and this is what we find more often than not in in churches, it's, it's what someone might call the religious person. Not the irreligious, but the religious person. The person who, who makes himself or herself an enemy of God, not by disobeying God, but by obeying God as a way to put kind of God under your thumb. You know, if I obey you, then you have to bless me. If I obey you, if I live a good life, you've got to give me a good life. And that is just as much making yourself an enemy of the Lord than the person who lives in a totally foreign way to God's commands. And the reason it is, is because that's not an effort to trust God. It's an effort to control God. It's an effort to basically say, I want to be king even over you. And we know we do that when things don't go our way and we feel like um, we have every right to be angry for God that things are not going our way. The first step toward peace with God is to recognize that uh, you have made yourself an enemy of God either by uh, the bad things you've done or by the good things you've done as an effort to make God bless you because either way you're choosing to sit on the throne of your own life. You're choosing to be in control rather than God. You're choosing to be king when there's only one true king. Remember, remember Mary's song. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And if we choose to be king, if we choose to sit on the thrones of our own lives, uh, not choosing to submit to the Lord and his leadership, uh, then that Verse, that ominous warning applies to us. If that scares you, and it should, you need to remember the rest of Mary's song. 
Because there, instead of bringing down the mighty, we're told that he has exalted those of humble estate. In other words, those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, those who know they cannot save themselves, those who jump down from the throne of their own lives and run to Christ, trusting solely in what he has done for them and inviting him to sit on the now vacant throne of their lives. It is those folks alone who will find this peace with God that the angels declared on Christmas morning. That is why our Savior entered our world, to bring us peace. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In other words, if I could put it this way, uh, it's as though Jesus looked into our world, the world that he had created, and he saw us in such a mess that he wrote himself into the story, into our story, into our lives. I'm going to date myself Again, probably um, this morning, but um, years ago, I bought on VHS tapes. Remember those? Uh, I think we still have some somewhere in our house. And a Betamax, remember that? Uh, So um, the series, it was a detective series called the Lord Peter Whimsy Series. And uh, it was written by a woman named Dorothy Sayers, who was a very close friend of C.S. Lewis. Now, Dorothy Sayers was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. Uh, She was a mystery detective fiction writer. And in her own words, she was not particularly attractive. Well, she wrote an entire series focused on this one man, Lord Peter Whimsey, who was an aristocrat. He was a detective. And uh, uh, she created this really long series that was a, it was a wonderful series, a lot of fun to watch. But about halfway through the series, a new character emerges in the story, a woman named Harriet Vane. And guess what? Harriet Vane, in this fictional story, uh, was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. Uh, She was a a mystery detective fiction writer, uh, and she was not particularly attractive. She met Lord Peter Whimsey. They fell in love, got married, and lived happily ever after. Now, Dorothy Sayers scholars will tell you that they believe Dorothy Sayers was writing herself into her story, that Harriet Vane really was Dorothy Sayers. And Dorothy Sayers, about halfway through her series on the Lord Peter Whimsey, looked at the world she had created and especially at the man she had created, Lord Peter Whimsey, and she fell in love with him. And she knew he was lonely. And so she entered her own world that she had created. She wrote herself into the story, not only because she was in love with Lord Peter Whimsey, but she saw the loneliness in his heart and she loved him enough to want to fill that void. Now, that to me seems such a picture of what Christmas is about. It's a wonderful story, but 
the claim of Christmas is so much more wonderful than that because Christmas means that God looked into our world, this world, the world that he created, and he saw the mess we were in. He saw that we were enemies of God and had no way uh, to fix ourselves, no way to correct that, no way to, uh, to find peace with God unless he entered into our world and did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so he did write himself into the story, if I can put it that way. He entered our world as Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And he didn't come just to embrace us, though he does. He came to die for us. He lost his peace so that he could give us peace. This Christmas, give up your throne. Give up your throne. It's the only way to find peace with God. It's the only way for the one born on Christmas Day to be born in you. Would you pray with me? Father, we... Um, gosh, if, if someone were to ask us, even as I think back in my own life before I really knew you in a personal and saving way, if someone were to ask me, am I an enemy of God? I would have said, no, of course not. Uh, I don't hate God. I'm not mad at God. Uh, but what I didn't realize, of course, back then, which you have since shown me, is that by going my own way, by being king of my own life, I was usurping your throne. Father, I pray that we would not do that. I pray that even today, uh, you would reveal to us if indeed that has been our story. And Father, for those of us who have known you for many years and sometimes uh, seek to, to take that throne back, would you reveal that to us and give us the grace to, uh, to turn it back over to you, the only one who can wisely rule in our hearts. And Lord, for those who just have never gotten to the place where they, where they acknowledged you as, as Savior, as Lord, as King, would you open their eyes, the, uh, the eyes of their heart, so that they would come to find peace with you. I, I plead with you to do this. You are a good and kind, beneficent King. And so we look to you to do for us what we cannot possibly do for ourselves. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.